Good morning. Welcome to Dogwood Church. So good to see each of you. It's time for us to dismiss our children. Uh, if you have kids in the, in the nursery that need to be checked in, you can take them back now and get them signed in. If you have kids that are in our kids zone, uh, you can send them back to the back doors with Mr. Cody and Miss Tasha. They'll be leading kids zone today. Well, thank you for joining us. If you have your Bibles, turn with me to Luke chapter 1. We're starting our Christmas sermon series uh, today. Advent starts today and goes through Christmas. Uh, And so we're going to be doing actually a special Advent service tonight uh, with the purpose of settling our hearts and our our minds on the Christmas season. Uh, We find it that it can be such a distracting time uh, with all the stuff that we have going on that this is an opportunity to kind of pause and remember this is why we are celebrating. So I've had several people ask about and and make mention of like not, not really knowing much about Advent. Uh, I too, I did not grow up in a church that celebrated Advent, but Advent is, the word means uh, the arrival or the, the coming. And so the, in the church traditions that celebrate Advent, uh, they use the month leading up to Christmas Day as a, as a way to look to the coming Savior, uh, Jesus and his birth. And then, of course, now we use it to also think about his coming again that is promised. And so tonight and our sermon series over this month will be kind of tied into uh, the themes of Advent. And uh, churches that celebrate, there's a, a, um, a theme for each week. And so we're going to be kind of looking at Luke 1 and 2 over the next month and uh, using that birth narrative, and we'll look at it with the uh, theme of Advent for that week. And so this first week, the theme is hope. And I've titled my sermon, The God of Hope Works in Hopeless Situations. The God of Hope Works in Hopeless Situations. And, the, and that's the story of Scripture paints that over and over again that we have a God who works in situations that are hopeless, that uh, from a human perspective, there is no hope that the situation could change for the better, and yet God works continuously. And the story of Scripture paints that over and over again. And when we speak of hope, we're not talking about wishful thinking, right? We, we use that term today in our language as I, I kind of, I hope that will work out this way. I hope that this happens for me or for my family. Uh, when we speak of biblical hope, we're talking about something to actually hold on to, like a reality that we can look forward to. God of, the God of hope works in hopeless situations. His work to send us a Savior is proof of that, and He is the reason that we have hope. I'm going to read our text from today. It's a little bit longer narrative today, uh, but I want to, as we do each week, hear the, the full text. And so I'm going to read Luke 1, 5 through 25, and then I'm going to pray for us. Luke chapter 1, starting in verse 5. In the days of King Herod of Judea, there was a priest of Abijah's division named Zechariah. His wife was from the daughters of Aaron, and her name was Elizabeth. 
Both were righteous in God's sight, living without blame according to all the commands and requirements of the Lord. But they had no children because Elizabeth could not conceive and both of them were well along in years. When his division was on duty and he was serving as priest before God, it happened that he was chosen by Lot according to the custom of the priesthood to enter the sanctuary of the Lord and burn incense. At the hour of incense, the whole assembly was praying. The whole assembly of the people was praying outside. An angel of the Lord appeared to him, standing to the right altar of, in, of incense. When Zechariah saw him, he was terrified and overcome with fear. But the angel said to him, Do not be afraid, Zechariah, because your prayer has been heard. Your wife, Elizabeth, will bear you a son, and you will name him John. There will be joy and delight for you, and many will rejoice at his birth. For he will be a great in the sight of the Lord. He will never drink wine or beer. He will be filled with the Holy Spirit while still in his mother's womb. He will turn many of the children of Israel to the Lord their God. And he will go before him in the spirit and power of Elijah to turn the hearts of fathers to their children and the disobedient to the understanding of the righteous to make ready for the Lord a prepared people. How can I know this? Zechariah asked the angel. For I'm an old man, and my wife is well along in years. The angel answered him, I am Gabriel, who stands in the presence of God, and I was sent to speak to you and tell you this good news. Now listen, you will become silent and unable to speak until the day that these things take place, because you did not believe my words which will be fulfilled in their per time. Meanwhile, the people were waiting for Zechariah, amazed that he stayed so long in the sanctuary. When he did come out, he could not speak to them. Then they realized that he had seen a vision in the sanctuary. He was making signs to them and remained speechless. When the days of his ministry were completed, he went back home. After these days... His wife, Elizabeth, conceived and kept herself in seclusion for five months. She said, The Lord has done this for me. He has looked with favor in these days to take away my disgrace among the people. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, thank you for your word. Thank you for its truth. We confess it is true again today as we gather to hear from it. I pray that you will help us believe. I pray that you will help us because we live in a world that feels hopeless. We live in our personal situations at times that feel completely hopeless. And sometimes all of life can feel hopeless. And so I pray that your word today reminds us of the hope that we have because of you and because of what you've done and that it will remind us of how we can live because of the hope that we have and because you are a God who works 
and hopeless situations. Help us believe. Help us respond accordingly. It's in Christ's name we pray. Amen. So in today's text, we're going to look at how to live, uh, how to live our lives when we're in a hopeless situation, how to live our lives because we have a God who works in hopeless situations. And that's the reality for all of us. We face times that things make no sense and it feels dark and hopeless. And God's word gives us some beautiful truths today. And the Christmas season gives us beautiful truths today that we can hold on to when things feel hopeless because God truly does work in hopeless situations. And so as we work through this text, I want us to to see the different ways that we can respond and how we should live uh, as we face times of hopelessness. The first truth is this, since God works in hopeless situations, we can remain faithful in times of hopelessness. Since God works in hopeless situations, we can remain faithful in times of hopelessness. And that's a challenge that we face, right? When things make no sense, when things are hard, when we cry out to God with the whys and the winds, and it, He seems silent, the temptation for us is to withdraw. The temptation is to feel like God doesn't care anymore, and so why should I even try? But what we see in this text today is two individuals who are in a hopeless situation, and we see modeled for us a way that we can live, that we can remain faithful to God even when life may not make sense, even when things seem hopeless. So let's look at verses 5 through 7 again from Luke 1. In the days of King Herod of Judea, there was a priest of Abijah's division named Zechariah. His wife was from the daughters of Aaron and her name was Elizabeth. Both were righteous in God's sight, living without blame according to all the commands and requirements of the Lord, but they had no children. Because Elizabeth could not conceive, and both of them were well along in years. So we meet this couple, Zechariah and Elizabeth, and they are described as righteous in God's sight. Uh, This term righteous does not mean that they are sinless. We know that that is not the case. There is no human uh, other than Jesus Christ who was sinless. So they're not sinless, but what this means when it says that they are righteous in God's sight and they followed the commands is that they lived a faithful life and they performed the uh, sacrificial duties that were required of them when they did sin. And so because of that, because of their faithfulness to God and because they practiced their faith and lived out their faith, God saw them as righteous And it says that they are old, they are well along in their years, is the phrase that's used. Uh, Later on, Zechariah describes himself as an old man. And yet they're still, even though well along in years, they're still living faithful to God, still serving God faithfully. 
And not only are they doing that, but they're doing that in a hopeless situation. They're doing that in a situation uh, they feel like they've gone to, gotten to the point where they don't feel like there's any hope that this will change. And that situation is that they do not have a child. They are well along in years, and Elizabeth has never conceived a child. Some of you have walked through periods of infertility. Some of you are walking through periods of infertility. And you know the pain. You know the heartache. You know the questions, the whys and the why nots, and the distance that sometimes it may feel like, why doesn't God answer me? Compounded on that, or with that, is for Zechariah and Elizabeth, their culture uh, did not necessarily view this as a medical issue. They viewed it as a spiritual issue often. There was the, the belief that this must be a judgment from God. God must be judging them because this is the reality. And if, if they didn't have some kind of sin in their life, then they would be able to have a child. And so that's the culture that they're in. And then paired with that is in the culture that there was the, the necessary, like there was the need, it was necessary for them to have children to carry on the responsibilities of the family, to carry on the family name and pick up with the family's work. And so they have this compounded grief and over their years of walking through infertility, they obviously had to have gone from early days of marriage of anticipation to hoping to doubting and by now well along in years feeling hopeless this is this is something that will never happen for us and yet in that Zechariah and Elizabeth remained faithful to God even though they struggled with questions, even though they wondered why this didn't happen for them, they remained faithful to God. And I think this is why Luke clarifies this. Before he introduces the fact about them that they don't have any children, he wants to make known to the reader, this is not a judgment against them. They are righteous in God's sight. These are, this is a good man and woman of God. And they're serving God faithfully. However, even though they're serving God faithfully, they still do not have a child. So it wasn't a sin issue. And the Holy Spirit, through Luke, wants to clarify this isn't because of their sin. Years of pain and discouragement had turned into hopelessness in their hearts and minds, and yet they remained faithful. And that's the challenge for us too, is to remain faithful to God, even when things don't work out the way we expect them to, even though things aren't happening in the time that we think they should happen. So, church, let's pursue a life of faithfulness even when we face disappointing situations and hopeless situations, let's pursue a life of faithfulness. The second truth we see from this text is this. Since God works in hopeless situations, we can trust His plans and His timing. 
Since God works in hopeless situations, we can trust His plans and His timing. That's hard for me. And it's probably hard for some of you too. Uh, we, that's a, a heart issue for most of us, for lots of us. Uh, it's certainly a heart issue for us in today's culture. We live in an instantaneous culture. I want this, I get it. Uh, you know, we, we want things to happen exactly how we want them, exactly when we want them to happen. And then we feel discouraged and sometimes despair when they don't. I remember, uh, you know, feeling the call to ministry uh, and starting to work on my seminary degree and, and praying for God to open a position for me to move into full-time ministry because I was working as a, uh, as a teacher at the time and going to seminary at night and on the weekends. And I prayed for an opportunity to open so that I could stop teaching and shift right into full-time ministry. And it took years and I felt so discouraged because my timing wasn't happening. I, it seemed right for it to happen at that time. And I didn't understand, God, why won't you open the door? But I could have trusted his timing. His timing and his plans are better than anything that we could ever imagine. And so we see that here that we can trust his plans and his timing because he's in control. And this next section I want us to look at in verses 8 and 11 uh, is reminding us of his control of the situation. Luke 1, starting in verse 8, when his division, this is speaking about Zechariah, when his division was on duty and he was serving as a priest before God, it happened that he was chosen by lot according to the custom of the priesthood, to enter the sanctuary of the Lord to burn in, and burn incense. At the hour of incense, the whole assembly of the people was praying outside. An angel of the Lord appeared to him, standing to the right of the altar of incense. I love what we see here. God working specifically and miraculously to control these circumstances to bring about his purposes in his timing. Historical records indicate that at this time, priests would serve at the temple. Now, there were other duties that they had, but priests would serve at the temple one-week periods two times a year. And there were 24 different divisions of priests, and they would be called in to serve for their one-week period, and then they would go back home, and they would perform their other duties, uh, and then later on in the year, uh, they would be called in for their second, uh, second one week of service at the temple. Uh, 24 different divisions, and at this time, probably about 18,000 different priests. 18,000 priests... Uh, thousands of them in Zechariah's division. And yet God is orchestrating the events that he is going to send a message that he is stepping into a hopeless situation, acting to give hope where there is hopelessness. And he does so by controlling the events of these times. Uh, now, Zechariah 
It's when he's serving as a priest before God that God sends this messenger. And it says he's chosen by lot, which essentially is kind of like drawing straws or the roll of a dice. Now, in our culture, we view that as by chance, right? It's like, oh, well, this will just, by chance, this happened. But their understanding of this was there is no manipulation of the system. When we go by casting lots or drawing lots, God's the one that determines what's going to happen. God is in control and he will let us know this is who is to go into the sanctuary. This is who's supposed to go into the temple and offer the sacrifice. And so God chose Zechariah out of thousands of priests to be the one that goes in because he has a message for Zechariah, a message of hope for him and a message of hope for the nation and for the whole world. God sends his angel at this exact time where he's lined everything up so that he can let Zechariah know what good news is coming. He is good. He planned this accordingly. He planned it to happen just how he wanted. We read later on in Galatians that uh, Paul writes that Jesus Christ was born at just the right time. God had a plan of exactly when he was going to send him. And he wanted to use Zechariah and Elizabeth and this hopeless situation that they're in to give them a child that will point to the coming of the Savior. God sent Jesus at just the right time. And Zechariah and Elizabeth are part of this story. But their story seems like there's no hope. Right? They have no hope. And God is reminding them, I am at work even in hopeless situations. He's, control, he's in control of the details. And Zechariah and Elizabeth could trust his timing and trust his plans. And that's the challenge for us too. To trust God's timing and trust God's plan as, as better than what we could imagine. As we remember God's sovereignty, because this is a matter of the sovereignty of God. He is in control. And so as we remember God's sovereignty, let's ask God, church, to help us trust his plans and his timing. Because it's hard when you're in the middle of it. It's hard when things feel hopeless to say, I can trust God with this. But we can. And so we need the, the work of the Holy Spirit in our lives to say, okay, I, I see nothing but darkness. I feel hopeless. And so, Holy Spirit, give me hope. Help me trust during this season where I can't see anything uh, that could be good in the works. Let's ask God to help us trust his plans and trust his timing. The third truth we see from this text is this. Since God works in hopeless situations, we can believe that he is at work. Since God works in hopeless situations, we can believe that he is at work. Uh, so we see in verse 12 through 17 that uh, the angel uh, speaks to Zechariah. 
and says, your prayer has been heard. Now, we don't know what prayer specifically, because the text doesn't record what he was praying. Uh, Some conclude they think it must be the prayer for a child. Uh, That doesn't seem to be the prayer that Zechariah would have been offering at this moment, because he seems to have written that off as a hopeless cause. When the angel tells him, he says, yeah, how could that happen? So we don't think that that's the prayer he's likely praying for the nation. He's gone in to offer incense as a sacrifice to God. This, was, this would happen, this was instructed to happen, that the priest would go in two times a day and they would offer a, a sacrifice of incense, a burnt offering of incense that was a pleasing aroma to God. It was an act of worship and the priest likely is praying for the nation at that time. He's likely praying for God to make himself real to his people again, for God to reveal himself, for God to save the nation because they're they're under the, the oppression of the Roman government. But we don't know for sure, but the angel says, your prayer has been answered. And then he goes on to say, you're going to have a son. Elizabeth is going to conceive a son. And you're going to name him John. And this son is not only going to be a blessing to you, he is going to be an important servant of God. He is going to be the one that prepares the way for the coming Messiah. He's going to point people to the salvation that's at hand when the Messiah comes. The Old Testament prophecies spoke of one coming before the Lord that would prepare the way. Isaiah speaks of that, that there would be one crying out in the wilderness, prepare the way for the Lord or make straight the way for the Lord. In Malachi, he speaks of uh, sending before the Lord comes, sending Elijah to, to point the people to the coming Messiah. And so the message from the angel to Zechariah is you're going to have this son and he is going to have this important task. He's going to be dedicated to God. He will be under the influence of the Holy Spirit from the time that he's in his mother's womb. He will be under the influence of the Holy Spirit. And that's the the purpose of the, the statement about him being kind of where it seems to be that he was going to be dedicated to service to the Lord. And it says he will not drink wine or beer. It's saying he will always be under the influence of the Spirit of God and nothing else. This child is going to be a, an important child serving God. And what does Zechariah respond when he hears this good news? When he's he's felt hopeless about all of this situation, he responds with disbelief, right? Let's look at verses 18 through 22. How can I know this? Zechariah asked the angel. For I'm an old man and my wife is well along in years. The angel answered him, I am Gabriel, who stands in the presence of God, and I was sent to speak to you and tell you this good news. 
Now listen, you will become silent and unable to speak until the day that these things take place because you did not believe my words, which will be fulfilled in their proper time. Meanwhile, the people were waiting for Zechariah, amazed that he stayed so long in the sanctuary. When he did come out, he could not speak to them. Then they realized he had seen a vision in the sanctuary. He was making signs to them, and he remained speechless. Zechariah responds with disbelief. Now, this is not where we're going to bash Zechariah for saying, how could he not believe? Because that's, that's our hearts often, right? To, to disbelieve uh, to not trust God's promises and not trust God's word, especially when we've walked through so much hardness, so much hopelessness, the response would be common to just be like, I, I just don't see it. I don't see how that could happen. I don't see how God could work in this situation. And that's what he says. How could that be? How could I know that this was going to happen? Because I'm an old man and my wife is well along in years, ultimately saying, there's not any hope that this will take place. Zechariah knew the works of God. Zechariah was an educated man. He knew all of the miracles that God had performed to care for his people throughout history, throughout Scripture. Zechariah knew that. Zechariah knew that God had worked specifically in a way very similar to this. He knew the story of Abraham and Sarah, who were well along in years. And that God gave them a child because he had promised that he would. And he disbelieved because he was sitting in hopelessness. And it was hard to see that God could do something in that. Even though he knew, yeah, I know that's who God is. I know what God can do. I know he's all-powerful, but that's our response often is, is to feel like, I, I just don't see how it could happen. And some of you feel that in your lives. I don't see how God could work in this brokenness. And so the angel tells him, Gabriel he says, do you know who I serve? I stand in the presence of God Almighty. And God sent me to you to tell you this good news. Now, he doesn't then turn and say, but since you didn't believe, then we'll choose someone else. God's going to choose someone else. Yeah, there's a consequence that comes with this, but this consequence is a sign for him and a sign for the people that God's at work. God didn't write him off because he didn't have enough faith to believe the promise. The angel says, you're going to be silent from now until these things take place. And I love the wording of... Uh, Verse 20, he says, which will be fulfilled in their proper time. When it's time, it's going to happen. You can trust that and you won't be able to speak until then. So we're looking at at least 10 months of silence, right? 
He's still serving the Lord and has to finish his service to the Lord before he can go back home. And even if this happens immediately, we're looking at ten months between the time he gets back home and the time that she could conceive. So at least ten months of silence. And the people are waiting for Zechariah to come out. And they start wondering, why is this taking so long? They were outside, remember, a crowd of people outside praying, praying for God to act, praying for God to take care of them, to take care of their nation, to redeem them again. And they're praying and crying out to God and they're waiting for Zechariah to come out because Zechariah, what his task was to do after offering incense to, was to walk out and bless the people with the priestly blessing from number 6. May the Lord bless and protect you. May the Lord make His face shine on you and be gracious to you. May the Lord look with favor on you and give you peace. That's what Zechariah would be doing if this had not happened, is he would come out and bless the people. And they're wondering, what's happening? Why is he not coming out? And then when he does come out, he can't speak. And they know God's up to something. God's doing something. He had to have seen a vision when he was in the sanctuary. God told him something. They just didn't know what, but they knew God was working. And Zechariah knew God is at work. He's working in this hopeless situation. He could have trusted. He could believe that God was at work. And so church, for us, let's believe that God's good. And let's believe that He's at work even when it's hard to see how. I don't want you to feel bad when you have your doubts. I don't want you to feel discouraged when you're looking at hopeless situation and feel like, I just don't see how. I don't see how this could be redeemed. I don't see how this could be fixed. But I do want to challenge us when we're tempted towards disbelief, when we're tempted to struggle with trusting God when things are so hard. I want to challenge us to say, I'm going to believe that God is good and that God's at work even if I don't see how. The fourth truth that we see from this text is this. Since God works in hopeless situations, we can rejoice in his faithfulness. Since God works in hopeless situations, we can rejoice in his faithfulness. Elizabeth models this for us here. Elizabeth, the the woman who had walked through decades of feeling hope, hopeless about this, the heartache, the pain, all the questions and seeming like never getting an answer. And yet, she rejoiced because God was faithful. God was faithful to her. Let's look at the text from Luke 1, 23-25. When the days of his ministry were completed, he went back home. After these days, his wife Elizabeth conceived and kept herself in seclusion for five months. She said, The Lord has done this for me. He has looked with favor in these days to take away my disgrace 
among the people. Zechariah completes his service for however long was left in that week that he would be serving. He goes home, and at some point in time, he is intimate with his wife, and God does exactly what he said he would do. Elizabeth, who was well along in years, who had never been able to conceive, who had walked through decades of hopelessness around this, conceived a child. God kept his promise. He did exactly what he said he was going to do. He was faithful. And the reality is he always is, church. Sometimes when we're walking through the darkness, when we're sitting in the hopelessness, it's hard to see that God is faithful, but he is a faithful God, always. Cody preached last week before Thanksgiving, before our Thanksgiving feast, and he preached from Psalm 136 on being thankful and grateful to God. And every single verse of that psalm ends with his faithful love endures forever. Over and over and over again, that psalm reminds us God's a faithful God towards his children. He is always faithful even when sometimes we don't see it and we don't feel it because of the darkness we're in, God is faithful. What does Elizabeth do when she sees God working in her life, when she recognizes what he's done? She gives glory to God. She recognizes God has acted. God has done this for me. She praises and rejoices that he has done this for her. And she says that. God did this for me. He looked with favor in this situation. He took away my disgrace. In her culture, it was a disgrace to be without a child. And she says, God took my disgrace away from me. After decades of walking with shame, that I didn't deserve. God took that away from me. She, he showed me His favor. She could have been bitter. That's easy when you've walked through such hard periods to feel bitter. Maybe respond with, well, it's about time, God. Or she could have just gotten so distracted with the kind of busyness of like, oh my gosh, <laughs> I've got a, a child on the way at this age. I've got to get some things in order. She pauses and rejoices in God. Look what God did for me. In the movie, Mr. Smith Goes to Washington. I don't know if many of you have seen it. It's black and white. James Stewart plays the the part of Jefferson Smith, who is selected by his governor to fill an, a vacant seat where a congressman had, uh, had suddenly died and they needed someone to fill his seat. And so Jefferson Smith, played by James Stewart, is selected to fill this position. And he's young and he's naive and he's going to Congress with these great thoughts of shaping the world that he lives in and doing good for his nation. 
and he meets corruption quickly. And he's so discouraged about that. And they, they, they use that corruption to try to completely destroy him and his reputation. But there's this scene, and I love this quote. There's this scene where he's talking to his secretary. And Jefferson Smith is telling his secretary about uh, things that his dad had taught him. And he says, he used to say to me, have you ever noticed how grateful you are to see daylight? Again, after coming through a long, dark tunnel. Have you ever noticed how grateful you are to see daylight again after coming through a long, dark tunnel? And he used to say, always try to see life around you as you've just come out of a long, dark tunnel. Elizabeth did that. Walking through a tunnel walking through darkness and hopelessness for decades upon decades. And when God acted, when God took away her disgrace, she was grateful. Look at what God did for me. God stepped in and redeemed this situation. God took away this hopelessness from me. She responds with thanks and praise to God. She was grateful. And we should do the same. God is faithful, church. And God is at work. So let's look for his faithfulness. Let's praise him and thank him when we see his faithfulness in our lives. So I I would encourage each of us, I mean, this is something that we could do around the Thanksgiving holiday, but it should be a part of our lives. Look for the ways that God is faithful to you. Look at the ways that God has cared for you. And we can start with our salvation, what he's done to redeem us, and rejoice in those things. And any time we see God working, even when we still feel hopeless and despair, let's rejoice that God is still a faithful God. This beautiful story about God working in this hopeless situation is, of course, part of a much larger story. And we saw some of that as the angel told Zechariah about John that was coming. God's doing much more in this story than just taking away the hopelessness that Zechariah and Elizabeth feel. He was working in the hopeless situation of fallen humanity. God was sending John the Baptist to Zechariah and Elizabeth. And he was going to use that child to point the way to the Savior of the world, the only one who would be able to give hope in our hopeless situation. And as Elizabeth says, when she sees what God did for her, and she says, God looked with favor on me. He took away my disgrace, and she rejoices in that, and she praises God for that. We can say the same thing. Concerning our salvation, God took away my disgrace. Without Christ, we are described as being in sin and in rebellion. We are described as being dead. We were described as children of wrath and enemies of God. That's the situation that we were in without Christ. 
all of humanity is sitting in that hopelessness. But God took away our disgrace. Through faith in Christ, he took away the disgrace that we had earned because of our rebellion. Look at how Paul describes this in Ephesians chapter 2. I think his language, uh, the Holy Spirit used this to really point to the hopelessness that we were in. Ephesians 2, starting in verse 1. I love this chapter. And you were dead in your trespasses and sins, in which you previously lived according to the ways of this world, according to the ruler of the power of the air, the spirit now working in the disobedient. We too all previously lived among them in our fleshly desires, carrying out the inclinations of our flesh and thoughts, and we were by nature children of wrath, children under wrath, as the others were also. But God, who is rich in mercy because of his great love that he had for us, made us alive with Christ even though we were dead in trespasses. You were saved by grace. That's the most hopeless situation any of us could ever find ourselves in. You were dead. There is no hope there. He doesn't say you were kind of you were struggling along and you needed kind of a boost to really get you going. You were dead. You were a child of wrath in rebellion against God spiritually. And he doesn't say, but look how you've really turned yourself around. He says, You were dead, but God. God, who's rich in mercy because of the great love that he had for us, made us alive in Christ Jesus. God worked in our hopelessness. There was no hope for us outside of Jesus Christ, but God loved us so much that he worked in that hopelessness. Peter speaks about the hope that we have in Jesus 1 Peter 1, verses 3 and 4. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. Because of His great mercy, He has given us new birth into a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead and into an inheritance that is imperishable, undefiled, and unfading, kept in heaven for you. We have a living hope because of God's mercy in our lives. We have a living hope. He gave us new birth, a new life in Jesus. And Jesus is our living hope. When God took Christ and Christ took the punishment for our sins and died and was buried and then God resurrected Him and brought Him back to life, anyone who puts their faith in Him, anyone who will trust in Him, has new life and has a living hope. Not wishful thinking. Something to actually hold on to. I have a Savior who took the punishment that I deserved. Since through Jesus, God 
has worked in the most hopeless of all situations to give us hope, we can surely trust that He can work through lesser periods of hopelessness that we find ourselves in in this life. And we will find ourselves in them. Sometimes they'll be short-lived and sometimes they may be decades long. And yet we can trust God is good, God's faithful, and He's at work. And I can trust Him and His timing. It may not be when we expect it will happen. And it may not be what we expect will happen, but we can trust Him. If you're here today and you have never experienced the hope that is available to you because of Jesus Christ, because of Him taking the punishment that you deserved for your sin and rebellion, if you've never put your faith in Jesus, my prayer is that today you would I pray that you'll experience the hope that is available to us. He's the only reason any one of us has hope in this hopeless world. And so if you want to know more about that, I'd love to speak with you. You can fill out one of the response cards and just say that you'd like to schedule a meeting with the pastor. And I'd love to share the good news of the gospel and and the hope that you can have because of what Jesus Christ has done. Church, Jesus is the reason we celebrate this season. Jesus is the only reason we have hope. Our God works in hopeless situations. And the work that He did to send His Savior, His Son, into the world for us is proof that He works in hopeless situations. So let's remain faithful to him, even when we walk through times of hopelessness. Let's trust his plans and his timing. Let's believe that he is at work, even though we don't see how. And let's rejoice and praise him when we see his faithfulness in our hopelessness. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, you have been so good to us. And for those who have trusted in Jesus, we thank you and praise you for taking away our disgrace, for taking away our shame as being rebellious children of wrath and making us sons and daughters of God. Thank you. God, I pray if someone is here who doesn't know the hope that is found in Jesus, Stir in their hearts now and in their minds the reality that this is something that they need. Help them believe. God, help us walk through the heartaches of this world, still trusting you and still knowing that you're good. Help us believe that you're at work because we feel hopeless at times. And our world feels dark and overwhelming often. And so help us believe and help us trust you. It's in Christ's name I pray. Amen.